Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast here with Benji as always and this show is supported by our show partner Lacole for the Vuelta España Stage 18, the Queen Stage, probably the hardest final climb in a Grand Tour this year, Alto del Gamonitero, 14.6 Ks, 10%. Now it doesn't have like a 16% kilometre but it's just consistently hard the entire time. There's some let up in the middle of 4% average gradient section before that we have a 10k eight and a half percent climb an 8k eight and a half percent climb long valley then the cordial climb which should be pretty well known to people watching angler stages in the past 8ks at six percent and then a really technical descent off that 163ks four and a half thousand meters of climbing and no real fight for the break today benji just went like that yeah it's a pretty large breakaway even a pretty significant amount of riders but there was one rider in there that has won two stage already and we kept looking at from the start because we thought, okay, this might be the strongest rider in the breakaway once again. And surprisingly, no riders from Bahrain. So they must have had a different plan than going in the breakaway today. And that showed when the break started, well, the gap started deteriorating. It was up to five minutes and then someone started facing in the peloton and it was the legendary man himself, Yukiya Arashiro for Bahrain, their entire train at the front. And they were setting tempo there. Uh, not the tempo to immediately close it, but the tempo to try and slowly but surely close it towards the end of the stage. And uh, what do you think the goal was for Bahrain here? The goal was, if I'm trying to elucidate it, and I haven't spoken to Hague or anything about it, but my looking reading of it is Jose Mourinho has gotten on the phone. I don't know if they've got anyone that speaks Portuguese. And he's explained to them the cycling concept of the Parc de Bas strategy. And it pretty much it nearly tricked everybody for the entire stage because Hague's 70 kilos, and if you look at his power numbers yesterday, doing 6.3 on the climb when Bernal attacked and did 6.5, it's like 430 watts. And on a 14K, 15K, 10% climb, normally, even in Hague, which looks like his best shape ever, riders like Miguel Angel Lopez and Bernal put him in a lot of trouble and should be able to take a minute, 30 seconds plus, more if they attack earlier and he cracks. So... That's what they're doing. They're trying to make the entire stage a bit hard. They're making sure Ineos and maybe Movistar or Yumba Visma don't have domestiques fresh at the base of Gomonotero to pace to make it hard from the bottom. Uh, and that, yeah, that was the plan. And to just keep the brakes stable and just make a, a longer effort with so we don't have a big watts per kilo peak at the end. And I want to echo what Benji said on Twitter about Arashiro, 80K followers. I don't know what he's getting paid, but he's been, I mean... We already had a go at Lander yesterday. GCN also dug into him pretty much as well uh, during the commentary, which I agree with. But Arashiro's selfless work again today, even he was getting dropped coming back. And I think I am surprised, you know, the Lander extension before uh, during this welter. And then, yeah. Anyway, next year, that's just an off-season discussion. Sorry, Benji, the breakaway. I guess the guys, the favourites in it were Micah, Stora and Aru. Yes, and it seemed like Stora was the strongest because he ended up dropping them all. On the uh, second climb on the stage, he started having a gap where he had to try and keep it in the valley. It was a solid two minutes for that portion, but suddenly the tempo, well, was going slower in the peloton and the gap went up again going on to the Cordel section. And that's where we saw somebody making a, a move in the peloton when the gap was roughly two minutes 30 towards the front with store lonely ahead still. A few riders in between, like a Mike and an Aru, but they're eventually being caught as well. But Roman Bardet went for a ride together with Biscara. <laughs> I think they were, uh, well, 
Arde was perhaps trying to get those K1 points because uh, his boy Storr was taking Jersey away from him. And uh, <laughs> that's uh, such a team battle right now, the K1 <laughs> points at DSM. I don't know what their plan is for uh, Stage 20, but they're going to have both of the riders in there and they're going to fight for each K1 point against each other there. But uh, right now, after this, we've got Storer sitting in first on 59 points, Arde on 54 points, so five points below Storer. And the Roglic uh, is not that far behind either. But hey, Bardet got caught not too far after. He dove into the descent, still ahead of the peloton, though. But by the time we hit the bottom of that, Cordal going into Gamoniteru, well, it was uh, it was done for. And in the peloton still, Bahrain basically backward pacing a bit. And it was very noticeable already because Caruso, you know when he's climbing hard and you know when he's not climbing hard. And this was not Caruso's godlike tempo, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it to you for now. Movistar well, clearly wanted the stage win. They they'd actually not liked Bahrain's pace in the Long Valley before Cordal. You're pacing with Oliveira and Erviti, chewing into Stora's gap, and then they pace Rojas at the base of Gomonatera. But then the problem is they're out of teammates, and it's just Martin Lopez left. Sivakov's the only Ineos rider left with Bernal and Yates. Got 12k's left on this climb. Jumbo Visma seemed to have no interest in taking it up. Why would they? With Roglic winning yesterday. As Benji said, Caruso pacing backwards. And this is the park the bus strategy. It's simple because Haig, yeah, he doesn't want to lose time on this stage. He backs his TT, I guess, ahead of Bernal. Stage 20 looks better for him to maybe attack Miguel Ana Lopez and Movistar. And so eventually we start seeing some attacks from riders in the group. Is it Bouchard, the Azure de Citroën rider, or Champoussin? Yeah, uh, Bouchard. Attacking, just lingering on the front. Uh, maybe he took his cue from Roman Bardet, who almost cost himself a top 10 on today's stage. Stora's losing time, even a Caruso pacing backwards. And you can see GC riders talking to each other, Master and Lopez. Poles is their second wheel, but not looking too good. There's Mader and Haig still there. And then David de la Cruz attacks, who's going for top 10 on GC. He'd actually had his team pace on Caldwell. Then again, recurring theme, ran out of teammates. You can't try things 40Ks out, 30Ks out with one rider. And he tried to increase the pace. He attacked here, and he got a minute on the GC group. A minute, and there's a battle within this welter that all of you aren't following closely enough, and that is the top 10 fight, which is a vicious knife fight between Louis Menkes, David de la Cruz, and I think Groschart and Guillaume Martin. And with that gap at a minute, Stora fading, who gets on the front? Tour of Austria winner, I think, Jan Hurt. I think he's a Czech rider on Intermarche, and he reduces the GC group to like eight riders. Everyone gets dropped. Poles immediately drops. Everyone except Kuz and Kreuzweig for Jumbo Visma with Roglic. Just Martin Lopez. Sivakov gone. Yates even dangling at the back. And Intermarche as well to Benji. Like, not just winning the stages, but their ability to actually defend and affect the GC at the point end of the race is something I didn't expect. Yeah, and they had surprisingly a lot of support for Iking when he was in red. Here it held on, uh, held on quite nicely on the last few mountain stages as well. And to have him right now do that pace for Mankeys there is just pretty insane. Like, I did not expect them to... Well, I did expect Mankeys to still be there, here perhaps as well. But to the, for them to set the pace for two to three, four kilometers on this final climb, keeping that up for Mankeys, partially because De La Cruz had gone on that attack earlier and has gotten a solid gap on this group. And it's likely a competitor in GC for him, so he has to watch out. But yeah, I feel like I uh, 
I didn't expect that. But hey, it's awesome to see it's a statement and uh, quite happy to see it. And they also got Guillaume Martin off the back. They're trying to put more time into him because he was fourth or fifth on GC today, but he's struggling on the climbs. Before we get to the juicy part of this race or the final climb of the Gamona Taylor, we mentioned our show partner, Lacole. They produce performance cycling apparel. And they've got a sale on at the moment. And you can use the LR Vuelta 20, that's LR Vuelta 20 discount code to pick yourself up an additional 20% off uh any of their items even if they're already discounted there's an archive sale where there's the sport heritage kit there's the pro air all category jerseys there's even the drops lacole jerseys which as you might know lacole have extended with drops lacole for another couple of years in the women's peloton but thanks lacole for supporting the podcast you can check them out down below Jan Hurt's pace puts bahrain under pressure caruso's gone and eventually it's i think Still heard pacing before David de la Cruz has got about a 25-second gap before Bernal attacks again with not that much left to go on the climb, 4.8 kilometers to go. Attacks, he's got Mas, Lopez, Roglic on the wheel, Benji. Yates dropped, knows that, and he keeps pacing them for like a minute, two minutes. I, I didn't really understand it, to be honest. I think he's trying to push a, a sustained effort for quite a bit instead of like one striking attack. But the problem is that if Yates was behind, you're basically only hurting your own team. Now, sure, you're also hurting Hake, who was in trouble. So perhaps that is the rider he is trying to hit onto because Hague is one of the riders that is closest to him ahead of GC. So, yeah, well, I, I think I that, that was too. the rider. Yeah, sorry. I thought that too, but then he, what he did later didn't make sense because then he didn't pace when he had a smaller group later yeah. because then Miguel Angel Lopez counters off Egan Bernal's pace, he goes, he, he's doing his look back. I'm like, Lopez, stop doing your look back. Just go. This is like a perfect stage for him on his day, maybe the best climber in the world on a finish like this and gets a 20-second gap and catches David de la Cruz. And then Sepp Kuss is pacing. So Sepp Kuss starts pacing, not looking too good. Roglic puts him on the front and then thinking, oh, it's Roglic on the stage where he's not feeling good. That allows Mater to bring Haig back, another unbelievable effort by Gino Mater today. And Enric Mars obviously can't counter because he's got his teammate up the road. And then Bernal goes again, I think, Benji. Or maybe was it Roglic surging? Um, like uh, I, can't I think Roglic was the one surging. Yeah, Roglic surges, Bernal marks him, and then we have a group of Mars, Bernal, and Roglic. And then Bernal, to, to the point about Jack Haig, starts to like attack, attack, and then stop, attack, and then stop. So he seemed to not gain as much time as he could have on Haig today. Maybe he's going for the stage win. What do you think about Roglic snap-closing Bernal's move but not Lopez's move? Is that a choice or Lopez was too strong? I think that... Mm, I think that Bernal's was the first one and that's the reason that he right. made the decision to close. I don't think it's specifically because it's Bernal doing so. Uh, Bernal's on paper too far in GC to really bother Roglic anymore. And Lopez... Sure, the people that he's attacking is the fact that Haig is having trouble at the back of the group and even dropped at a certain point. So I think that Lopez was trying to get away from Haig. There's no one in the group that is immediately affected by Lopez closing in on GC or riding away from him on GC because they're not the closest competitor to them, except Maas. But Maas ain't going to face against Lopez, at least not did it this year in the Movistar series. But uh, yeah, I think that's why nobody paces behind the attack of Lopez here and allows that to go 
while they probably would have been able to respond at, at least a bit, to be honest, I think that if Roglic tried, he was on the wheel of uh, Lopez here. Yeah, I think so too, based on all we've seen at this Vuelta Espana so far. And still, Roglic had good legs. Now, he, he limits the gap to Lopez with Sepp Kuss, who didn't get his opportunity to go for the stage today. I actually thought he would, but maybe he, he probably he wasn't, didn't look like he was being Lopez anyway. And then Roglic goes clear and attacks Mars and Bernal right at the end, Haig pacing behind. But Lopez takes Movistar's first day, Grand Tour stage win of the year on Gamoniteru, an outstanding win for him and shows sort of his Mont Blanc 2 form from this year. And this is what he did in Col de la Lose last year, almost a carbon copy against Roglic in the Tour de France. <laughs> Less than a year ago, about a year ago, we already forget how good this guy is. And he almost goes ahead of Lopez on GC. But here's the top 10. Lopez, a fantastic stage win in the fog on this climb. 14 seconds ahead of Roglic, who takes six bonus seconds again. Must six seconds behind on 20 seconds. Bernal on 22 seconds in fourth, who puts a 36-second gap into Haig, who runs in with Dela Cruz, made at Mankey's unbelievable performance. Coos on 106, I believe. And then Yates drops. On 107, so this is kind of what Benji's been talking about, he, he, tailing off. Like, he shouldn't be getting dropped by Haig, right, Benji, on this sort of finish. There's like a 10, 12 kilo difference. Yeah, he shouldn't be uh, being dropped by Haig. It's as simple as that. <laughs> Found <laughs> that too much more to that. <laughs> yep. So GC, no changes except for Guillaume Martin loses in terms of the order. He's down into ninth. Rolls now 230 ahead of Mars, but only 253 ahead of Lopez. Enric Mars might be sweating a little bit with Lopez. <laughs> I think Enric yeah. Mars has, has uh, Roglic and Kuz to thank for his second position today. Haig saves fourth. He's seven seconds ahead of Bernal. And Yates is loses more time. He's a minute and one behind Bernal in sixth. Then Kuz, seventh, Maida, eighth on 7.48. About 50 seconds ahead of Guillaume Martin. And then Menke's tenth on 9.02, only 22 seconds ahead of David De La Cruz. Uh, so tomorrow's stage, before we talk about the GC ramifications, is it's a bit of a weird one. It's, it's a Magnus Court stage, Benji, 191 Ks. It opens up with 10 Ks, 4%, a 2, 3K descent, 10 Ks, 5.5% descent, 12 Ks, 4%, rolling ridgeline, and then pretty much flat before a 3K, 4% climb. And then 30 Ks of false flat downhill or 25 Ks of false flat downhill. I've... It's a very unusual profile. It's kind of like the Ceratisic Love Welter Challenge Stage 1. Go and check out our podcast on that separately or at the end of today's stage. But is this break or is this EF yes. controlling? I think this is a breakaway stage. You might as well put him in the breakaway instead of uh, yeah. controlling from the peloton. And on paper, the parkour with the climbing at the start does suggest that a large breakaway could form on the climbing section. And then it's a matter of who's going to take it on. I don't think Quickstep is going to be able to do so for Jakobsen that quickly in the race. So by the time they're able to reorganize and get to the front perhaps and start pacing, the time for catching the breakaway might be done already. So I think they might be more eager to put a Bajoli in the breakaway perhaps or something like that and just uh, not go for Jakobsen on this stage. But hey, he can surprise me, and uh, I'd be down to see it. But I kind of hope it's a breakaway stage. This is just screaming, yeah. It's screaming break, to be honest. Unless Bike Exchange have Matthews in the bunch and want to pace all day, um, which I wouldn't recommend. I even think Schultz tried in the break today. He's quite fast. But, yeah, Schultz, Bagioli, Court, a lot of fast guys in the break, one would think. So not a big GC day. 
I wouldn't think, unless someone has a, a big problem at the start in the first hour of tomorrow's stage. Stage 20 is the big next GC battle. That's got like, I don't know, 4,000 metres of climbing or something. It's up and down all day, and it's a hilltop finish too. There's like a 2K, 10% climb. I think Bernal's going to like to look at that actually um, before the TT, but that's for a later date. Stage 17, Benji, was better than stage 18. Do you, will you remember this one forever? I think it was just a quite good finish. Yeah, it's quite a good mountain finish, but nothing too insane. Uh, kind of reminds me of uh, the likes of an Angliru that we always shout about, but in the end, it's always just the last five-ish to three kilometers that does everything. And today, it's as well the latter part of the climb that does something. And if it wasn't for Wanty setting up the crazy tempo for a bit, we might not have had any big surprises here. Exactly. I mean, maybe Bernal and Lopez have Wanty to thank because at that moment before they increased the pace... Bahrain's strategy was working perfectly and no one had called their bluff. And once they did, they looked in trouble. So, I mean, Benji, it's good to see Bahrain landers not there and they're now looking like a seamless unit today working working as a team with a coordinated plan. I think, do you reckon Tratnik in the break tomorrow? Who can they get in the break? I want Arashiro in the break. Free Arashiro. Yeah, hashtag free Arashiro. Nobody, <laughs> nobody else, just Arashiro. That's it. <laughs> Who you, uh, did I did I pin you down on your final pick for tomorrow's uh, stage? I'm going for Andre Elskron on this one. Oh, that's a good call. I'm going with Bagioli. Okay. Um, because you said his name. And I, your, your, first <laughs> in, your first instinct is usually correct, and then I can confuse you otherwise. So I've been refreshing madly to try and get the watts per kilo for today's stage to see what they did on the final climb, but um, they haven't uploaded yet, which is a little bit irritating. But otherwise, we're going to progress on to now the Ceresis at La Vuelta Challenge Stage 1 and Benelux to a Stage 4 recaps. If you're listening on podcast plays, it's all one file and it's separate videos on YouTube. But let us know down below, who's your most surprising team? Who's the most combative team of the Vuelta? We didn't do that thing, Benji, most combative. I'm going with Stora yeah. um, today, but... Intermarche got to be the most combative team in the world. But sorry, who's your pick for today's stage most combative? Uh, probably Stora as well. There's no one else you can really go for, unless perhaps De La Cruz, but nah. Nah. Stora. Stora and Intermarche. Whew. They're looking looking good. They got some guys who are, yeah, on probably pretty good contracts. We hope you enjoyed this recap. Now for the recap of Therat's Is It Challenge by La Vuelta. A women's World Tour stage races, four stages, the last stage finishing in Santiago de Compostela on Sunday, the same day that the men's Vuelta wraps up there with the TT, I believe. And we had a pretty interesting parkour for the first stage, 120 Ks. It looks kind of like the Cayea stage for uh, – Catalonia stage one, we've got a long, shallow gradient climb in the middle, Alto de Portela, 15.2 Ks at 5.3%, and then a rolling ridge line with a 3% gradient climb for 6 Ks at the end, and then pretty much a descent to the finish with like 4 or 5 Ks of false flat downhill or flat at the end. The start list we have here at uh, third visit challenge by La Vuelta is Anime Van Vluten, one of the big GC favorites, as well as Elisa Longo Borghini, Ontrek Segafredo. We have Marta Cavalli, a sprinter for FDJ. SD Works have got a strong team, Van der Breggen, who seems to be riding as a domestique, Need Fisher Black, Mulman, and also Kata Vas, who's a Hungarian CX rider, kind of a la Pidcock MVDP. She's, this is her first foray into professional road racing, I believe, Hungarian national champion. So she's 19, um, and she's it's not her first foray. She's raced before, but it seems like she's, uh, yeah, she's gone to, to SD Works now. So 
one to watch out for. They seem to be riding for her or Fisher Black, as well as uh, Marlon Russo on LBTC Ljubljana. TSM are riding for one would think Rivera in the sprints and maybe Lippert for GC and Balsamo and Valcar, who's also going to Trek Segafredo next year. She's a quick sprinter. So that's it'd be interesting to see who would control today, but it was a weird break once the coverage started, Benji. Yeah, we had Marlon Reuser in the breakaway initially already, and that's why you wouldn't expect to be an initial breakaway because she's a relatively strong rider, also Elisa Shabby. So the two arguably best Swiss riders we have, Royakers live racing as well, and eventually also uh, Kennedy and Magnaldi in that group. Now, everything kind of switched around when they started the climb, the significant 15-kilometer climb in the stage. And that's where Rivera actually started bridging up because the gap was not huge by that point, like 20 seconds. So she had the ability to do so. She did so. And eventually at the front, Kennedy and Magnaldi dropped. So eventually four riders left, Reuser, Royakers, Shabby, and Rivera. And the gap kept growing and it kind of surprised me. Movistar and uh, Van der Breggen pacing, like you said, she seems to be uh, in a domestique role here. Probably best based on the form we saw on the uh, French race, GP Plue. And uh, were you surprised that a break like this gets a gap of like two minutes in the middle of the stage? I don't know how it happened, to be honest. You've got someone who's fast like Rivera. Royce, she climbs well. She's a time trialist and she's on magnificent form winning that TT uh, the other day. So, yeah, I, I was so surprised she was allowed to go on a breakaway and Movistar didn't control it more. I mean, maybe they thought they'd bring it back later. Uh, there's Kashin Nubiadoma here as well for Kenyan Shram. I guess they got shabby in the break, so they they didn't have to chase either. But, yeah, I mean, what's how did Royce go in the ladies' tour of Norway on the mountaintop finish? I think she came fourth. So, yeah, she climbs okay, but, yeah, it's a bit risky to give her so much time, I think, personally. And Rivera's the quickest in that group, Benji. We saw... Shabby was pretty frustrated before the final attack. Shabby was frustrated with Rivera, who either wasn't pulling through or wasn't contributing to closing gaps. It seemed like, what were you seeing from Rivera? Was she playing coy or was she actually struggling? I mean, this was a long time after that final climb. You'd think she'd be recovered in a 110k stage. Yeah, and certainly because the latter part of the stage is slightly downhill, that it should on paper be relatively easier to help out the group that is trying to get away. Now, um, I feel like Shabby just was, like you say, a bit uh, a bit startled by it. And once you have a rider that does not cooperate perfectly in the group, for either reason, wanting to do so or not being able to do so, you're going to have attacks. And Shabby was one of the first attacks that we had. And the attack was not the greatest attack. Like, she didn't actually create a huge gap. Who responded to that attack, actually? I think it was Royster eventually. Um, to, I, I, I just... Yeah, Rivera was. Uh, it's fine when when it's being closed by Royce or when Shabby's closing Royce, but she can't do it forever. I think Ruyakas as well was. I mean, Ruyakas is quite good, but not in a finish like this. Yeah, uh, she was closing. It really was on Rivera to be closing these things. If you, it's like a, it's like having Sagan yeah. in a group of four. But yeah, I think San Remo with Ewan, for example. Ewan exactly. was the rider that had to close it, but. Uh... Obviously, other teams are not going to be too willing to do it unless their name is Søren Kronersen and they try and cross over and eventually uh, try and get someone else the victory. But yeah, that's a whole other story. Pacing behind, I think, was all the teams, really, and they couldn't eat into the gap very well on the descent. I saw Trek Segafredo, I saw Van der Breggen, I saw Movistar. 
and it's it's almost like they gave up. It's like there's, I can't believe they finished so far behind. I mean, we do have an uphill TT tomorrow, but Royce should be good at that. And now it's putting a lot of pressure of uh, if SD works or Van Vluten want to win GC, to the gap they've given them. Like there's, it seems to me like they gave up chasing, frankly, given the amount that this group started playing in the last five Ks. Shabby out of frustration attacks again. She gets brought back by Roysa, who then continues, and then Rivera loses her wheel whilst Roysa does a little acceleration. Rivera was right on her wheel. Rivera is um, cooked, looks to Shabby to close it, who's just attacked. Shabby then sort of sprints a little bit. Rivera snap closes to her wheel really, really quickly. And then Shabby looks at Rivera like, what are you doing? Like, Royce is a time trial. She, you've just, we've just given her a 20-meter gap again. I, I just attacked. I can't close this. What, what are you doing? And Rivera's like, nah, I can't do it. And so it, the stage is over. Two Ks, two and a half Ks to go. Like, you cannot give Royce that gap. And Rivera, maybe she didn't have the legs. I don't know. If she didn't have the legs, it would have been smart to probably snap close Royce at that moment um, when she was on her wheel. And, uh, yeah, Royce rides away for the stage win and predictably Rivera wins the reduced group sprint behind by over a bike length. Um, <laughs> she would have won if Royce was there too. Second again, this time in different circumstances. Um, and Shabby third, Royak is fourth. A minute 48 ahead of Valsama winning the group sprint behind Anna, Anna Henderson, Kopecky all there as well, as well as Jackson, Lynette and Mackay. So a minute 48... Benji, I mean, tomorrow, 7K TT, Royster in the leader's jersey, like, sh- she could probably beat almost Annemiek van Vleuten on that TT tomorrow. She could. I think that it it won't be that obvious as, oh, she's going to uh, do she it. She won't, but actually. 1 minute 48, it's a long, uh, it's a long gap, but a 7.3 kilometers uphill time trial, what are the gradients of the climb itself? 4k, 6.5%, then mm. flat, then 2k, 7%. No, no, she'll lose time to Van Vloyen if she brings Yeah, but her. not a minute 48. No, no like, way, no way. I think she has, she see if she doesn't fuck something up. Exactly, and we look at stage three, which is like 5k, 5%, 15k, 4%. Again, stage three is kind of like the stage today, and then the final stage looks like it should be a sprint stage. If Van Vloyen wants to win, she's going to have to destroy the TT tomorrow where she might only take 20, 25 seconds. On a, on a good day, and then mount a really, really long-range attack on stage three. Uh, I guess this will happen in Tour of Norway, I think, to Royce. Other, Nuvia Doma, I think GC is now going to be very, very difficult for her. Yeah. I don't know who SD Works are riding for, whether it's for Nee Fisher Black. I, I don't know. I'll be interested to see actually how Vast goes in the TT tomorrow because it is an uphill one. I find it like, really difficult to understand how on the first stage of a stage race, you can give up so completely up on the on the GC. <laughs> like this is like Catalonia, where Andreas Kron wins the first stage with a minute, and then everybody gives up. Uh, <laughs> no, not more. GC. No, no. It's okay, like yeah, it's, yeah. It's like when Kamna. It's like when Kamna got in the break with Kron and Sanchez with 15 k's to go, yeah. and no one chased. No <laughs> one chased, and they gave them two and a half, three minutes when, yeah. like. That they could have brought this gap below 148 Benji. There's no way that this group yeah. was like, there's no way the group should be way quicker on behind and they held that gap stable. It makes maybe we're underrating Royce and how strong she is, but yes, yeah, some curious times there. But I guess for SD Works, why chase um, your potential leader next year? Marlon Royce has got SD Works on a two year deal next year, the 29 year old. So, um, 
yeah, certainly having a breakout year and, yeah, I think it's up to Movistar to really try something on later stages. Maybe Sarah Martin can do what she did in Classica San Sebastian and if Van Vleuten gets free, then she can take that time back. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to finish on, uh, see where it finishes up on Sunday. But that's our recap of stage one of Serities at Challenge by the World. I also have highlights of the stage on my main YouTube channel, probably in the mornings after the stages. Uh, but now on to Benelux Tour Stage 4, which was a sprint stage. There wasn't too much wind today from Alta de Ardui. 167K. He's got a golden kilometer, 6K from the finish. Two intermediate sprints before that. It's near Benji's house, apparently, like 15, 20Ks <laughs> away. And uh, I just want to talk about the train. Well, first, well, 50, coverage started at 50Ks, Benji. We saw attacks from who's that? Who's that Balwaza guy? The young guy. Pretty strong. I mean, pretty he's, he's pretty good, but we just saw like loads of attacks from him. Occasionally, Taco tried to get involved. Bissiger's leading GC for education first. They were controlling things. Did any break ever really get any traction? Well, at the start of the stage, we had a three-man breakaway with Arjen Livens and two other people. And those two other people are the following riders in the peloton. Thomas Sprengers and Sam Bewley. And uh, that break wasn't ahead for too long. Like... They were caught up after, I think, 40, 50 kilometers into the stage already. So that means that the tempo did go up at a certain point. And it's like weird because the stage had nothing that like indicates that something was going to go wrong or something or a section that is very dangerous in the last 40 kilometers. But it felt like the entire stage, everybody was nervous. And as a consequence, you don't have a breakaway. And you've got the likes of a Hots then making the move, like you mentioned, and the peloton is just straight up trying to close it down immediately. And that shows that either they were afraid or something, or at that point in the race, they were already thinking about the potential bonus seconds at the golden kilometer. But I doubt that because on paper, it's only nine seconds. And the way the riders have been riding today at the front of the peloton was a bit hard for just the golden kilometer, to be honest. Perhaps something happened before the broadcast started, perhaps a zone with echelons or something where people expected echelons, but it didn't happen, but just didn't feel like it. And yeah, it was uh, eventually Jumbo that was doing a lot of work, the Koenig doing a lot of work. So all the teams of the sprinters really, and Alpsen as well, pacing in the peloton after Merlier had his first win already this week. So that's when you know that it smells like a sprint stage. It looks like a sprint stage. It's probably a sprint stage. And Therese de Bont was marking everything as well. Any dangerous moves that went, he'd go and then he'd sit on and then everyone get demotivated. And so that he was doing a good job in a defensive role too. And so pretty dangerous running, to be honest. They're going like 60Ks plus. The road narrows to a one-way road, it looks like to me. It's like five wider, it's five riders wide with 6Ks to go. And it's so narrow the Bahrain who have taken the front of the peloton with Seaberg and Bauhaus, they don't actually have to then keep pacing hard because no one can move up if they ride slower. So they've just gone to the front, it's parked up there, excellent for them. It eventually opens up a bit and we see Bora pacing for Sagan. Lotto have, uh, they got one rider at the front pacing uh, in the like three case, two case to go, but then Du Bois just behind with Ewan in a pocket. And it's just... I think we got to talk about the lotto, lotto lead out train, Benji. What's the point in having the quickest man 
in a straight line in the world or out of a corner with 150 meters to go if they're constantly putting him in bad situations. A small guy as well who, when Volscheid would come over to the barriers, there's not much he can do to stop himself getting pinched either. Yes, certainly. In this in this final section, you have basically Lotto coming to the front with two riders early on before the last kilometer as well, doing a bit of pacing, and then the bus is the only rider left to help out you in. And we see him moving up with you and on the left side of the road, and he puts him ahead of Merlier, but way open in the wind with no space that he can latch onto. So there's a train on the right of him. So you can't just say to a rider in there, oh, mate, get out of the way. Ewan has to sit there. That's not <laughs> going to happen. So you got to find a wheel to latch onto or a place outside of the wind to have your sprinter at. And the bias pulls him towards a friend and basically leaves him alone, just ahead of Merlier, straight up in the wind. So. I don't know, it felt like it was a bit of a bad position and Ewan realized that. He looks back and he tries to find a position behind him. So that's when he loses momentum as well because he has to move back and try and find a wheel to latch onto there. And when Merlier already has his wheel, you have to try and figure out how to get into the wheel of the likes of a Merlier. And he gets into the wheel of Merlier for a bit, but then eventually he loses it a bit because Walshide indeed comes from the right side of the road and is being forced, so it's not that Walshide tried to push him in the barrier. He was being forced to the left side of the road, and he had nowhere really to go. And eventually, Ewan was the one that was the rider most on the left that had to break, because otherwise he would most likely would have uh, landed in the barrier. So he had to break, lose momentum again, and he's one spot further. And this all comes down to the fact that he, one, wasn't positioned well at the first place. He wasn't placed well by his lead out there. But he also doesn't have anyone that can bring him towards the front anymore from this point onwards. And if you're in that position with, I don't know, 500 meters to go, which is basically 10 for 12 position in the sprint, a good 10 meters behind the first sprinter, it's going to be uh, very hard to get past all those riders in a very messy sprint that is Ardoya. And you're basically putting up against Pedersen, Merlier, Valscheid, and he's first trying to take the wheel of Sturven off Pedersen, I think, then Pedersen's wheel off Merlier. Like, these guys are like 25 kilos, 20 kilos heavier than him, probably. And it's just not – you know who did a good lead up, Benji, and who was furious at his sprinter afterwards, who actually slid onto Merlier's wheel, then got pinched by Sagan? Heinrich Hausler. Hausler brought a non-existent Bauhaus up the left-hand side <laughs> – to the to Pedersen's wheel with about 400 meters to go. He pulls off, looks behind, and you can see in the front on shot, he raises his hand, he's like, what the fuck? Where is Bauhaus? And sees him like behind Sagan. You should see, I'll take a screenshot. <laughs> he sees Bauhaus like behind Sagan, on there like no chance of winning. I think Pedersen got a good lead out once again. I was also surprised that he waited so long to sprint out of that corner uh, with I think 200 meters to go he, he waited again in a long form sprinter he, he gets out of the wheel of i think is it van poppel the intermarche yep. rider he drifts far to the right and I, I sort of love a bit of karma sometimes benji when a rider he's like swung all the way across the side of the road no one apparently has got top level yet. none of them know how to sprint in straight lines unbelievable and um he opens up a gap on the barrier which merlier says thank you very much slides straight through the line and nails uh, Peterson, but he's also like, I'm going to drift across to the right to shut off my back wheel to Van Poppel as well. So Melia takes his second sprint. Um, we talked a lot about trains there. I think Alperson just kept, they just keep Melia at the front in the top five, six wheels, just keeping him in touch, in position, and he can do the rest. 
Pedersen got a good lead out again, and I think the lead out's made a huge difference today with that left-hand bend uh, with 200 metres to go because if you were tight and behind on the barrier like Ewan, you just got squeezed. Uh, so the final top 10, Mergier, Pedersen, Van Poppel, Sagan, Laporte, Bauhaus, Gaviria, Volscheid. I forgot Corona Vegan was here, Benji. Do you know what happened with him? He came ninth. Kiar was just not well positioned and tried to move through at the end, but didn't seem like he had the power to get past too many people there. So just wasn't good enough, I think. Right, so GC is still, I think, uh, Penelux Tour usually takes about six hours to send out the revised GC, but I think it's still busy leading uh, ahead of stage five tomorrow from Rimps to Bilsen, which is more of a classic stage. We have some uh, little ponds at the end, the Lettenberg, Kyberg, Slingerberg, are quite steep. Where's this, Benji? Yeah, tell us where this is. I think this is in Belgium. <laughs> is Rimps in Belgium? I don't know. My geography class was like <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah. Rimps is in Belgium. I think Belsen as well. So on paper, this is in Belgium. Probably like Flemish Ardennes section and uh, perhaps more in the in the Flams Brabant region of Belgium. But I have no clue, actually. Like, I'm so bad when it comes to the geography in my own country. It's kind of sad. Well, Benji only knows West Flams places, apparently. Uh, does it go into uh, – does this race go into Luxembourg at any point? It must. It has never done in the history of the Benelux Tour, I think. You No, know, it must. It must, Benji. It's called the Benelux Tour. Well, it doesn't matter. I, I, I don't <laughs> remember any Benelux Tour that went to Luxembourg. Could be wrong, but if anyone knows a Benelux Tour that went to Luxembourg, count it. In the yeah, description I, and the comments. I guess this is the first year it's called Benelux. It was previously called Bingo Bongo and still remains that in my heart. But, yeah, interesting. I just want to go back to touch on the Ewan thing, Benji. They signed Rudiger Zelig next year for Lotto Sudal. And I, 32 years old, two-year deal. He was the last man for Ackerman uh, for a long time. And he was well, still this year. And I think not the best in that role. Like, fine. But I don't think Zelig is the solution. I may be wrong. Maybe they're looking for when Roger Kluger, um, you know, when Kluger was at his peak when he was a bit younger for mm-hmm. Caleb Ewan, they're trying to get that big 192-centimeter guy which or tall guy like to replace him. But I just, yeah, I think I'm worried for Caleb Ewan next year, Benji. I think maybe Du Bois is going to have to step up. I mean, what are you seeing there? Are you just seeing... At that moment when Du Bois flicks Ewan, the opposite. Well, why not just sign Hausler? I honestly think Hausler has been doing good lead-outs this year. Yeah, I think so as well. But I think my main issue that I see today is that the difference between Merlier and Ewan is indeed that Merlier is a, a much bigger rider. He can try and move people by shouldering next to them. For example, at a certain point in the last kilometer and a half, Merlier has to move through uh, two riders. I think it's a Quebec rider on the right side of him, and he has the weight to lean to the right and push the Quebec rider out of the way. Now, it's not the most clean thing to do so with your head like he did, but he did do it and he moved that Quebec rider out of the way, and that was his way to move into a good position for the sprint. If you're not able to do that, then you can't move up. And Caleb Ewan can't do that because he's so fucking tiny. That is no offense included. But, um, yeah, he tries. He does his best. He, like when Volscheid pinched him, Ewan put his head on him and his shoulder. But yeah. Volscheid like literally didn't notice or care. <laughs> yep. So yeah, that's that's what it is for Ewan. I think he needs a little bit more support. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Sprints, Merlier keeps cleaning up, and World Championships. I still think Benji 
Wafanat Ludat Melier is the dubski for for Belgium, even though <laughs> I'm the only person that thinks that. And then Pedersen comes around <laughs> and wins. <laughs> Mercury does reverse lead out and wins. That's my dream. Anyway, we're off track here. Uh, thanks for listening to the Lantern Recycling Podcast on this stacked three World Tour race Thursday. Thanks to Cole for supporting the podcast, and we'll see you with all these races recapped again tomorrow. Ciao.